Welcome back to the Dirt Show. Uh, on yesterday's live Dirt Show on Rumble, there was a snafu. So uh, the first minutes of it uh, didn't get transmitted, but um, it's all been recorded and it's on all the platforms, Rumble and YouTube, etc. So if you want to see yesterday's show and you missed it, uh, a lot of it about uh, Nikki Haley and, and others, um, please go back and, and, and watch it. You don't want to miss a single show. We know that. Um, Today, uh, before I get to today, also uh, join me on the Locals community at uh, uh, dershow.locals.com, D-E-R-S-H-O-W.locals.com. And there you see me, you know, mouth off for about two minutes on something important um, of that day. Um, and so you can, you can get that. Um, so today I want to talk about a very frightening new development in the attempt to get Trump. Um, as I've said before, I'm publishing a book um, coming out fairly soon called Get Trump. It's, it's not about um, me supporting uh, Trump. Uh, as you know, I voted against him twice. It's about, as a civil libertarian, my great concerns that in efforts, illegitimate in my view, to prevent Trump from Running again, uh, civil liberties are being not only compromised, but being devastated by people on the left, by civil libertarians, by academics, by people who ought to know, ought to know better. And, and among the latest tactics are going after Trump's lawyers. Uh, I was one of Trump's lawyers. Um, I defended him in the United States Senate. And this group called the Project 65, which is devoted to going after lawyers who defended Trump, are, they're going after me as well. Obviously, I'm going to uh, fight back and uh, I, have, I have nothing to hide or, 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 or be fearful of. I did nothing wrong. But um, there are other lawyers they're going after who don't have the resources. A number of them have called me because I've offered to uh, help uh, any lawyer who Project 65 is coming after or who bar associations are going after for legitimately <clears throat> representing <clears throat> Donald Trump or, or anybody else, Republican or, or Democrat. Um, some lawyers may have done wrong, and if they did wrong things, they should be held accountable. But just representing somebody like Donald Trump um, is not wrong. It's right. And uh, um, we want uh, elections to be challenged legitimately in court, better in the court than on the streets, uh, better by um, lawsuits than by violence. So um, I'm concerned about that. Now, the latest, there was a leak, a grand jury leak, uh, published in the New York Times, published by NBC, and nobody's asking the hard question, who made the leak? Was it a prosecutor? But the leak uh, is that now the uh, special prosecutor is trying to get testimony from several of Trump's lawyers um, and uh, asking the court to break the lawyer-client privilege and to compel the lawyer to testify, even though the lawyer says, I can't, it's not my privilege. Um, it's the client's privilege. And I'm not free to testify about what my client and I discussed. But the special prosecutor is going to court or has gone to court in this secret sealed pleading, which has been leaked by somebody to the New York Times and NBC, and uh, trying to get uh, the lawyer to be compelled to um, testify. Again, I don't know the facts. You don't know the facts. 
all we know is there's a sealed motion and all that was leaked was the fact that there is such a motion, not the content of the motion. So we don't know what it alleges. Um, now, let me give you a little law school primer on the lawyer-client privilege. It's something I taught uh, for 30 years and, and thought about a lot. So I know I know a little about it. And I've been on the lawyer-client privilege issue for years because I have clients and clients have told me things. Um, and um, I will have to go to my grave without telling anybody some of the things that clients have told me. I don't discuss them with my wife. I don't discuss them with my children. Uh, I only discuss them with co-counsel or with the client. Uh, I'm like a priest, like a rabbi, like a doctor. Uh, we all have uh, an ethical obligation not to disclose. Sometimes that ethical obligation clashes with your personal uh, morality. If somebody goes to a priest and says, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. I've beaten my wife uh, and I'm going to try not to do it again. But the urge comes over me and Actually, I'd like to end the session now because I'm planning to go back and give her a few more whacks. Um, a priest can't disclose that. He has to try to persuade the penitent not to do it. But he, too, the priest, has to go to his grave, uh, not revealing that secret. If the man then goes back and beats up his wife, um, that's not the priest's fault, according to at least uh, canonic law. Lawyers, on the other hand, have an obligation. If somebody comes to me and says, um, I need your help, I, I want to prepare a defense because I'm about to beat up my wife, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. That's not my job as a lawyer. In fact, I'm going to pick up the phone and call the police and tell them to protect your wife. Lawyer and priests have different obligations under their own ethics. Psychologists, psychiatrists are essentially the same as lawyers. If a psychiatrist or a psychologist is told by a patient that he's planning violence, the psychologist and the psychiatrist uh, have an obligation to disclose it. Now, um, the rules are a little different because for a lawyer, the person has to actually say, I'm going to go out and commit a crime. For the psychologist and the psychiatrist, it's a little vaguer. It may be enough if they say things that lead the psychiatrist or the psychologist reasonably to believe that they are a danger to somebody else, they may have to make disclosure. But these are very, very delicate matters. And I want to start the discussion today by telling you a story, a story from history. I actually wrote a short play about this called The Matter of Death. And it's the true story of what happened to Leo Frank. Some of you may remember Leo Frank was a um, businessman in Atlanta, Georgia, having emigrated from Brooklyn. Uh, to Atlanta, started a business, was quite successful. And um, he um, was accused of having raped and murdered a 14-year-old uh, employee. He was Jewish. Um, she was not. Her name was Mary Fagan. His name was Leo Frank. And uh, he was put on trial amidst um, an anti-Semitic furor, hang the Jew, hang the Jew. Um, and he was, uh, was convicted. And after he was convicted, a man, we now know his name, named um, Conlon, uh, an African-American man, went to see uh, a prominent lawyer or a lawyer. And the lawyer, um, uh, he told the lawyer, he said, I need you to represent me. 
And 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 the lawyer said, "Why do you need me to represent me? Are you in any trouble?" And he said, "No, I'm not in any trouble yet. But you know that case that everybody's talking about, Leo Frank? Yeah. Well, I'm worried. Why are you worried? Leo Frank's been convicted. He's been sentenced to death. He's going to be executed. Mm, you don't understand. Leo Frank didn't do it. Well, how do you know Leo Frank didn't do it? Well, I know Leo Frank didn't do it because I did it. I raped her and killed her." And I want you to be my lawyer. Um, and the lawyer said, wait a minute. There's a man on death row. He's innocent. You know he's innocent. And you want me to be your lawyer? Yeah, yeah, I'm afraid. All these Jews are coming to town now, the Anti-Defamation League and all these Jewish organizations, and they may get him free. And if he, he goes free, they're going to open up an investigation and who are they going to investigate? The janitor in the building that that Leo Frank owned. I'm that janitor. I took this girl down to the basement and and she struggled and she resisted and I, I accidentally killed her. It wasn't my fault. I, I didn't want to kill her. Uh, and so the lawyer says, but you're going to let a man die? And Connelly says, well, better than me. If I admit I did it, they're going to take me out and lynch me. I'm black. Uh, he's Jewish. Uh, at least they gave him a trial. Um, and 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 no, I'm not going to confess my guilt. That's why I came to you. You're not allowed to confess my guilt, are you? No, I'm not. But I'm not going to be your lawyer. I can't be your lawyer. I can't help you do something like this. What a terrible thing to do to let an innocent man die. So 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 leave my office. No, I'm not going to be your lawyer. And so uh, this man, whose name was Powell, threw him out of the office. Then Powell had this dilemma. What do I do? I now know that Leo Frank, the man on death row, is innocent. I know who's guilty, but I can't tell anybody who's guilty because I learned that in a lawyer-client confidence. And he didn't tell me he was going to commit a new crime or a further crime. He just confessed an old crime, a past crime, and past crimes are covered by the lawyer-client privilege. What should I do? He called his partner in, a guy named Goldstein. It's a big firm now in Atlanta. It's a true story. It's the name of the firm is Powell and Goldstein. You can look it up, and this is a true story. Powell wrote about it. And uh, he talked to Goldstein, and they checked the bar rules, Nothing you can do about it. Uh, you can't turn in your own client. You can say that you think Leo Frank's innocent. And Powell said, well, I'm going to do a little bit more than that. See, I'm friendly with the governor. The governor's name is Slayton. And he's a good man. He's a good man. I'm going to go see the governor. And sure enough, Powell went to see the governor. And said, Governor Slayton, you know me. I'm a good man. We go to church together. Uh, we pray to the same God. Uh, I am telling you, as a good Christian, I know for 100% certainty that Leo Frank, the man on death row, is innocent. I also know for 100% certainty who's guilty. I know who's guilty because he told me he was guilty. And he told me he was guilty in a lawyer-client privilege communication and I can't tell you who that is. I wish I could, but I can't. But I can tell you that I know 
that the man on death row is innocent. And Slayton says, look, I, I can't do anything about that. If you tell me who did it, then we can, you know, go to the police. We can go to the prosecutor. But I can't, I can't do something based on your statement that he's innocent without you telling me who's guilty. Goldstein says, Powell says, no, I, I can't do it. I'm sorry, I can't do it. Governor, the ball's in your court. The governor then wrote out a statement, a very interesting statement. That's why I wrote the play about it. It's so interesting. He said, 2,000 years ago, in a place far away, a governor allowed an innocent man to be crucified. That man's name was Jesus. That governor will always be remembered by history as the man who killed our God. I cannot do that to this man. I will not be the governor who let another Jew be executed for a crime he didn't commit. And so the governor did something moderately courageous. He did not pardon him. He should have. He commuted the sentence from death to life imprisonment and said, now at least there'll be an opportunity for all these groups of lawyers who are coming down trying to prove his innocence to prove his uh, innocence. Well, that wasn't enough for the crowd. And the crowd outside of uh, Atlanta, Georgia, where Leo Frank was being held in prison, a crowd that included ministers, sheriffs, school teachers, went to the jail, broke Leo Frank out of jail and lynched him. The only Jew ever lynched in the South. Uh, ultimately, um, Connolly was um, 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 charged um, and um, plea bargain, my recollection is, and got some years in, in prison, but admitted he was the person who did it. And ultimately, Leo Frank posthumously was pardoned after many, many years, only a few years ago. Uh, by the way, another little boy who had been working in the factory, now an old, an old man, came forward in the middle of the 20th century and said, I saw what happened. I was hiding. I was scared out of my wits. I never said anything. But I saw Connellan do it. And Leo Frank was entirely innocent. So now we know for 100% certainty that uh, Leo Frank was lynched for a crime he didn't commit. And he was lynched because a lawyer couldn't violate his, his privilege. Well, that's the introduction to what's going on now. And so we have lawyers who are being asked to disclose and divulge lawyer-client information, particularly about how Trump handled classified material. Now, the lawyer-client privilege, just to be clear, says a lawyer may not disclose anything the client told him, except if the client is using him, the lawyer, to perpetrate a crime or a fraud, um, so that a lawyer can't be used by the client to cover up his intention to commit a future crime. Um, but that's essentially the exception to the lawyer-client privilege. And so the special prosecutor is going to have to go to court and prove, and the standard should be high, but some courts have said it fairly low, that this lawyer knowingly helped to facilitate a crime, presumably the hiding of classified material or something like that. 
don't know the facts, don't know whether or not there's any evidence to show that. Uh, obviously, a license to practice law is not a license to commit crime. We know from the great movie, The Godfather, that uh, a consigliore to a crime organization doesn't have a privilege and neither do the criminals. Uh, the Godfather, when he talked to uh, uh, the lawyer, uh, Hagen, Hagen, Hogan, whatever his name was, Hagen, great, great movie, great actor, um, told him all about crimes. You know, we, the lawyer knew that this guy had to be bumped off, that guy had to be bumped off. So there's no privilege there. But if, um, for example, uh, Trump had said to one of the lawyers, well, I think maybe I do have some classified material still around, that would be a past crime. Now, of course, what the government will argue is holding on to classified material improperly is a future crime. So sometimes the area is a little murky and um, we'll see how it, it plays out. The important point is that in general, Prosecutors do not subpoena lawyers. I've never been subpoenaed. I might be now that I was uh, one of Trump's lawyers. In my 60 years nearly of practicing law, I've never been subpoenaed. Once I had a prosecutor ask me something about a client, and I told him what he could do with that. And he threatened he would um, maybe subpoena me. Um, it was an interesting uh, situation because my the client, was claiming ineffective assistance of counsel. And of course, I, I wasn't ineffective. I did a fine job. And the prosecutor just wanted me to testify about what a good job I did. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to in any way undercut my client, even though my client was accusing me of doing a bad job. Um, eventually, he got free. The client managed to weasel out of it. And um, 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 but, but I've never been subpoenaed. And if I were subpoenaed, I'd obviously have to fight it. So let's watch this and let's be careful because uh, although we don't know what the facts are in this case because it's sealed, um, we do know somebody broke the law. That's clear. The person who revealed the sealed information broke the law, whether it was a prosecutor or somebody else, we don't know. But you would think the judge might want to investigate that um, as well as whether or not uh, other lawyers, uh, lawyers for Trump have committed uh, any crime. So We'll see how that how that works out. But be wary about going after lawyers. Lawyers aren't privileged characters. Remember, it's not the lawyer who has the privilege. It's the client who has the privilege. If the client waives the privilege, lawyer can't claim it. It's only the client who can claim the privilege. And the client has to have clean hands. If the client has used the lawyer, is using the lawyer to help them commit a crime or a fraud or anything like that, then the lawyer-client privilege is, um, is voided. And so stay tuned. We'll hear more about that. But be concerned when government goes after lawyers and when they do it selectively as they are doing it in this case. And you'll see when you read my book, and I know you'll all read my book, Getting Trump, um, you'll see how serious this problem is. I have a whole chapter on going after, on going after lawyers and how that's often the beginning uh, of the end of uh, lawyer-client privilege if it's taken if it's taken too far. Okay, let's get some letters. So I spoke a lot about Nikki Haley and got some you know very different uh, responses. Um, uh, got uh, you know one one response. Uh, how great 
She was. Haley was a terrific UN ambassador. She's got a chance. She's wonderful. Another one says, short answer, no, she's unknown. Well, you remember a guy named Jimmy Carter? Um, well, Jimmy Carter wrote me a letter in the um, spring of the year he was elected president. He wrote a letter to me. I'd written an article in the New York Times about sentencing. And he said, dear Professor Dershowitz, uh, I read your article with great interest. I would like very much to uh, have you work with me. I'm thinking about running, or I'm not thinking, I'm running for president of the United States and I need all the good ideas I can get. I'm coming up to uh, Cambridge. Uh, can I meet with you at Harvard? I met with Jimmy Carter and I helped him. And, um, um, but I'd never heard of him uh, in the spring of um, 1976 when he ran for president. I never heard of him and he became president. Uh, I had heard of um, Bill Clinton, but almost nobody else had. I had heard of him because he went to Yale Law School and because his wife, uh, Hillary, had worked for the professor that I was co-authoring a book with. So the name Bill Clinton was vaguely familiar to me, but he was not known to anybody else. And obviously he became the president of the United States. Most other people who've run for president have great name recognition, obviously. Uh, uh, people like Trump had great name recognition. The Bush uh, father and son had great name recognition. Ronald Reagan had great name recognition. Another guy who had no recognition at all was Barack Obama. He didn't, you know, he was a small time local politician and got elected to the Senate by real luck. Um, what happened is the man who probably could have beaten him uh, had to leave the Senate race because some allegations of adultery. So he ran against somebody who was uh, relatively easy to beat and then very shortly thereafter, became president of the United States. John Kennedy wasn't particularly well known when he became president of the United States either. So um, uh, just because you're unknown now doesn't mean you won't be president of the United States. Okay, whoops, I got all my phones ringing. I don't know what's going on here, but uh, here we go. Um, okay, Professor, regarding your response to Gertrude Stein's moral standing within the context of the society she live in, I completely disagree. Anti-Semitism and totalitarian populism and phrenology and eugenics were all socially accepted outlooks in the early 20th century. By their standards, a modern conservative would ironically be considered ultra-woke. Ultra uh, no, I don't buy that at all. Um, um, there were conflicting attitudes. Um, uh, many countries were strongly opposed in France the resistance um, uh, just before um, the the Nazis occupied France, there was a socialist prime minister, Leon Blum, and others. So uh, there, there was not it was not like slavery uh, in in the early 18th century. Yeah, sure they were abolitionists, but the South it was the dominant culture uh, in France. Anti-Semitism and certainly among French Jews. Anti-Semitism was not the dominant culture. And the idea that you excuse a woman who is Jewish uh, for nominating Hitler for the Nobel Peace Prize and for uh, becoming best friends and, and associating with the head of the Gestapo, no, uh, by no standards of um, uh, relativism could you ever, ever accept that. So uh, I just don't, I just don't buy it. Um, and, and, um, Okay. 
Here's an anti uh, Nikki Haley. Haley is a Democrat, depending to be a Republican. Now, I've accused, been accused of uh, being that too, a, a Democrat in name only. Um, uh, Haley is terrible at debate. I don't agree with that. I was in a dialogue with her. She was terrific. Um, I don't know about debates. I've never seen her in a debate. Haley is delusional. No, that's not true. She's a very sober and rational and decent person. She thinks DeSantis is doing a bad job. Well, first of all, she hasn't said that. And second of all, that's a matter of opinion. Uh, DeSantis is doing some things that are quite good and some things that are very questionable. I don't like uh, what he's done with uh, the new college and uh, other other places and educationally. And I do like what he's done in, in some areas. Um, um, and somehow you think she has a chance against Trump. What are you smoking? Uh, if you think she can beat Trump or even be competitive, I'm going to think you're part of the deep state. I don't even know what the deep state is. And if there is such a thing, I surely ain't part of it. Uh, if I am, it's, it's without my knowledge. And have some ulterior motive. Oh, that be? Because that's insane. Weren't you on Epstein's list? Yeah, yeah. I was his lawyer and I was O.J. Simpson's lawyer and I was Mike Tyson's lawyer. And uh, I was the lawyer for a lot of good people and a lot of not so good people. That's my job. If Haley somehow wins, we know what's going on. It's the deep state. If she wins, it's because the people in Washington really have picked her to become the Manchurian or the South Carolina candidate. Nah, I don't think so. All right, here's a rational question. Professor Dershowitz, please comment more on the situation in Israel on judicial reform. Interesting interview of Israeli ambassador to France on Amanpour. Uh, she wants freedoms, but clearly realizes that the Palestinians do not want peace with Israel. Well, I have the lead editorial in today's uh, Jerusalem Post. Uh, you can get it online. And it lays out three proposals that I have for compromises. So just to set the issue a little bit in context, and maybe we'll do a show on it uh, uh, later on, um, uh, the Supreme Court of Israel is a very important institution. Israel doesn't have uh, a bicameral legislature. They only have one house, the Knesset. Um, it doesn't have an executive. There's no president. There's a president, but it's a nominal position. The prime minister is the minister who is prime, but he's a member of the Knesset and can be voted out of office by the Knesset by a simple majority vote. So there's no executive check on the, on the, on the parliament, and there's no written constitution. So Israel actually needs a strong Supreme Court, and it has one. The Supreme Court has been honored all over the world. Its justices are praised. Uh, many of them uh, are, if they finish being justices, are offered positions as professors at Harvard and Yale and uh, NYU and other law schools. Um, I have to admit, I'm friends with, with several of them and have a lot of respect for them. So now the right wing has been elected in Israel, and um, particularly a couple of people on the extreme right, a guy named Ben Gavir and another guy named Smutrich and another guy named Levin. And they've been pushing very, very, very hard to take power away from the Supreme Court and to allow the Knesset, the legislature, to overrule any Supreme Court decision by a simple 61 to 59 vote. 
And I'm strongly opposed to that. Um, I think they should have the power to overrule the Supreme Court on purely economic or political issues. But when it comes to basic core human rights, due process, free speech, equal protection, the Supreme Court, like our Supreme Court, should have the last word. And there's a big dispute about that. Also, the people on the right want to have a greater role in selecting the justices. Right now, the justices, it's not like the American system where the president nominates and the Senate confirms. And Israel is a committee of nine people, and it needs seven out of nine votes to be confirmed. So you have to have an overwhelming majority to be confirmed. And a lot of good people have not been confirmed. I have a friend who is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant lawyer, law professor, and she did not get confirmed by the seven uh, to two vote. Um, but the seven to two vote, people on the committee consist of three justices of the Supreme Court, two members of the Bar Association, and two members of the Knesset, and I left out some, uh, in any event. But the because you need a seven to two vote, uh, the Supreme Court justices, there are three of them, essentially have a veto on who can be on the Supreme Court. And that's been a source of great concern. And I'm actually not in favor of that. And so I proposed three changes um, and they're all laid out. And then I proposed the Lincoln Tuglas type series of debates uh, moderated by the president of Israel, who's a wonderful man named Isaac Herzog, who's a friend of mine too. And um, I proposed that he convene a series of four debates, uh, Lincoln Douglas type debates, great debates that everybody in Israel would watch on television. And then they can decide after the debates, let them then make a decision either through the Knesset or through plebiscites or through public opinion polls or whatever else they want to do. And, you know, the four should be, you know, should you have an override? Um, how do you select the justices of the Supreme Court? And there are two other less important issues about the power of the attorney general and the power of other lawyers uh, in, in, in the Israeli uh, government. And so that's the proposal I put on the on the table. And as I said, it was the lead editorial, got some tremendous response. I was on the major Israeli television channel, Channel 12, um, making my point. Um, of course, as is usual with me, everybody's against me. Uh, the left thinks I'm uh, too willing to make compromises with the right. The right thinks I'm too willing to make compromises with the left. And, um, and uh, I'm proud of the fact that... Uh, um, the compromises I suggested were, were principled compromises. So maybe we'll talk about it on another show. But um, uh, the, the real question is, why is the world so obsessed with Israel? This is a domestic issue. You know, there's an issue in the United States today, whether we should pack the court, whether there should be term limits, whether there should be limits on the jurisdiction of the court. Nobody seems to care about that. <laughs> but people care more about what's going on in this tiny little country than in the United States and China and Russia. See you next week.